that's like asking me to pick which child I want to keep. Like, I mean, you obviously keep Baby Yoda. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what Menno means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Take care, T-C-B. I want to respect you. Uh -uh. Yeah, that's going to make no sense to anybody listening, and I don't give two shits because it's now an in-joke. I'm Sean. I'm Jen. And we're here today with our, like, at the movies kind of TV Screen Scoutsy segment thing in which we talk about The Mandalorian. Again! Yay! Yay! Yep. So, that, I mean, that's basically, that's it. Like, we're just going to do that. So That's what that's what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. Okay, yeah. We'll give, I guess we'll give general impressions first, but only because you clearly didn't listen to the last episode that we did on The Mandalorian. Because if you did listen to that episode, you'd already know our general impressions because they remain unchanged. Yeah, we hated it. We just, we just hated the show. We despised it. God, like, we're just hate watching at this point. Oh, yeah, totally hate watching. Yeah, totally hate watching. We don't enjoy anything about Baby Yoda. We no, don't find any of the costume design appropriate. Cara no. Dune is a totally terrible character. The worst. I mean, like, if anything, Mary Sue. Oh, I mean, he is 100%. such a Mary Sue. He's a Gary Stew. 100%. You know who was definitely a Mary Sue in that show? Baby Yoda. 100%. That 100%. fucking thing, way too perfect, right? Exactly what the writers want, right? A largely nonverbal, giant, greenered creature that occasionally is useful with force powers. Yeah, that's what everybody wants to be. That's like the ultimate Gary Stu or Mary Stu. I mean, if you think about it, the only reason that Baby Yoda exists is so that they could have healing powers in episode nine. 100%. Yeah. And fan service. Does fan service. Fan service. Like the yep. worst kind of fan service. That like kind of like vapid, just really just. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. At one point, there's actually a guy wearing the shoes of stormtroopers. And that's totally fan service. I mean, it's just over. It's over the top. Over just, the top. It's clearly yeah. they just want to sell stormtrooper shoes. And like, clearly they put in uh, that Boone guy from, you know that one show about motorcyclists just for fans of that show. Right, yeah, there's fan service of other shows. Other shows. There's fan service of, like, Sesame Street. Come on. I mean, we all know, really, this is all the evil, wicked plan of Kathleen Kennedy, who is oh, just yeah. trying to manipulate the fan base to get everything that she wants so she can suck the soul out of out of the marrow of Star Wars. Because that's that's just, I mean, that's how it has to work, right? It can't be any other way. They, they just want our money. That it's they just want our money. Right. They wanted so much money that they just made this show just so they could sell fucking stormtrooper shoes. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. 
I like I was just in Target, Jen. Have, have you gone to a Target recently? <laughs> I have not gone to, to a Target recently. The entire Star Wars aisle is just shoes. Shoes. It's just Stormtrooper Storm shoes. Oh my yeah. god. Could they at least give us some like Cara Dune shoes? No. No. No, because because that like why would they make stuff for women? Women don't like Star Wars, Jen. Like why the fuck no. are you even here? Like I you, don't know. <laughs> You've been on like, every Star Wars episode we've done almost, and it's just like, it, you don't even like Star Wars because you're a woman. Women can't like Star Wars. No, we can't. No, it's, it's absolutely unacceptable. That's, it's, and it's really terrible that they have women characters in the show because that's just like diversity for diversity's sake. Yeah. Come on. Oh, and even more important, right? Like, they have female characters who actually fight in this. And like, as oh, we know, yeah, women can't fight. Right? No, they can't fight. They definitely can't hold swords, and they definitely can't be blacksmiths. Yeah, they 100% can't do anything involving lifting an object that shoots fake laser beams nope. uh, that have nope. no actual impact on gravity. That is something that women can't do. Because as you know, women don't have arms. Nope, and they can't be mechanics either. Yeah, they can't be mechanics, they can't be blacksmiths. I mean, uh-uh. e- effectively, anything in this show that has a woman doing anything but sitting down and being utterly helpless is just completely unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, like, throwing out every bullshit argument I can think of. (laughs) Now for our true feelings. Actually, I think that about covered it. (laughs) We love it. We love the damn show. Take take everything that we just said, the opposite. The opposite. And that's what we feel about The Mandalorian, which is everything that we've ever wanted out of life. And that's why... I said it was my favorite thing from last year in our Looking Back Moving Forward episode. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, The Mandalorian is some of the best Star Wars anything that has ever been made. And it is some of the best television. It is 100% worth the price I'm currently not paying for Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget that? <laughs> well, because you bought it before I bought it, because I was 100% going to get it. Liar! You so weren't. I was. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's a. Uh-huh, it's fucking uh-huh, Star uh-huh. Wars. Fuck yeah, off. I'm kidding. Yeah. No. It's. It is 100 worth it, especially since I get Hulu and I don't know ESPN with it or something. That's whatever. And it makes my family happy. So you know, and and Disney. Disney's cool, I guess. But like, really, I just watch The Mandalorian on repeat. it is a really fantastic show i think anyone who's a star wars fan who's not seen it really should watch watch it and i think anyone who's not a star wars fan i think you could watch this without having really any star wars knowledge i mean there's things aspects of it that probably are benefited by having uh foreknowledge of star wars stuff but i think this show does really well standing on its own in a lot of respects and it's really fantastically done it's well shot uh, the, the scenery is beautiful. Some of the, the, the artistic direction is fantastic. They have such an interesting set of directors and writers. Uh, Taika Waititi directs an episode. You even have Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, which is just, it's just a lot. Dave Filoni and, um, John Favreau are also in here. And Deborah Chow. Yeah. It, it definitely shows the, the people making this love what they're doing. In the, in just the production. Like, this is what, even like, like, um, uh, oh, the actress that plays Cara Dune, I'm so bad at names, I'm so sorry. Uh, Gina Carano. I think she's having a blast making this movie. Oh, she's absolutely having a blast. And I've looked up, um, even Emily Swallow, who plays the armorer, is really just having the time of her life, not just, 
on the show where obviously she got to be a kick-ass warrior. I don't know if she did her own stunts, but I have a feeling she probably did some of them at least. Um, but she's having fun representing that character out in the public and as, you know, yeah. to the fans and everything. And the armor really is a very cool character that was totally wholly made up for this show. You have Rich Iode as fan service. Talk about fan service. Like, like you have just like the geekiest people ever in here. Clancy Brown shows up. Um, Natalia Tena, who was um, Tonks. Amy Sidaris shows up, like I said, as a mechanic who is amazing and hilarious. Ming-Na Wen. Oh, my God. But we'll talk about that. Uh, like, there's a bunch of just fun guest appearances in the show. And everybody is having fun with it. It's, like, really clear that everybody is having fun with this show. It, it's very, 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 very aware uh, aware of the joy that is Star Wars. And yes. I, I think that's part of why I just really enjoy the show overall. Yeah, and um, after the, the spoiler wall, we'll talk more about other things. I just want to get the spoiler wall up and, and move on with our lives. Yep, so spoiler wall right now. It's a trap! Take a base of action! So spoiler walls up. This isn't really a spoiler, but I really wanted to mention that one of the things that you said that you really loved about the show was just how beautiful it was and like the scenery and artistic direction and everything. I just read an article, which we will link to in the show notes, that talked about specifically the um, technology that they're using to create the show. They're using basically a giant screen that everybody acts in front of. That's how they're filming this. And I forget I forget what the technology is called, but it's it was used in one other thing before they basically they started using it for this. And it allows them to not have to take an entire cast out on location. Like this show has amazing location shots. I'm not even kidding. They go from everywhere from like Tatooine to this, you know, forest planet, and there's, you know, like a whole ATST on it. They are on a so Tatooine has all the dunes, um, yep. the first the planet, rockier planets, all kinds of stuff, right? All kinds of stuff, and it's just beautifully done. All of that is done in front of this warehouse sized giant screen television. That lets them take all the shots using whatever camera, type of camera that they want to use on location, but they just have, like, one camera guy out there, <laughs> um, basically. He takes all the shots ahead of time, and then it's put on this giant LED-like screen, and then people act in front of it. And you can kind of see it. Uh, once you know it's there, you can see it. But the lighting in the show um, and the sets that are there, like the, the the locations that they are actually creating on set, are really good. And the whole thing is just so seamless. But it's amazing what they've been able to do with that because this show is not seen. It's not filmed on location at all. It is one hundred percent soundstage. That's insane. It's insane. Like, you cannot tell until you're looking for it. And it is, it's just, it's gorgeous. It really is gorgeous. This show looks good from start to finish. 
It is incredibly detailed. Uh, it, I mean, we were joking about the stormtrooper shoes, but there's literally a character wearing stormtrooper shoes, and there's a joke about his shoes. Like, that kind of thing happens in this show. And you are meant to, if you're a fan of everything else, notice these details. You don't necessarily have to notice these details. You're just going to, like, get a little snicker about why is he mentioning his shoes. But if you know that they're there, it gives it that much more, like, attachment to the rest of the universe. And it's just, it's super cool. And I love it so much. Well, that's fascinating. I did not know that. It is, isn't it? It is fascinating. That's an interesting uh, cost-saving measure, I imagine. Because, you know, flying people around ain't cheap. Uh, And, you know, these these sets, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of work in... Areas where, you know, weather could be annoying, annoying, uh-huh. uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I assume it's saving them money so they can focus a lot more on, you know, costuming and where they have it, CGI and, uh, focusing on character. But then again, what do I know? Maybe it costs them $10 trillion. I, I mean, like the initial setup, I'm sure was like super duper ridiculously expensive. But once it's done, the fact that I'm mean, not having to haul an entire filming staff around the world essentially to film these locations has got to be a gigantic cost saving measure. And it really, like, there's a lot of CGI in this, but it's all very high-quality CGI. Yes, it it feels like Star Wars movie quality. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what this new technology is kind of allowing them to do. Because, like I said, once you start looking for it, it's very clear that it's everywhere. Literally everywhere. Um, there are, there are a ton of practical effects, obviously, in the show as well, but, um, it's impressive what they've been able to do. And given the fact that, like, their plan is to continue this, like, we're getting a season two, obviously. Yeah. Um, they've been able to go with a wide variety of directors, um, and I don't know how much that is, just John Favreau having, like, a ton <laughs> of pool in Hollywood, <laughs> Or, you know, that they can actually afford to pay all these directors to make live-action 30-minute television episodes, right? Well, I, I think it's it's what the, it has been on the docket because they've been trying to make a live-action Star Wars show for, I don't know, over a decade, I think. Uh, Luke, When Lucas owned the company, he there had been efforts to try to get it off the ground and it just never got anywhere. Some of that was like television had not quite gotten to where it is now where it could pull off what so much of Star Wars is, which is space operas and, you know, robots and shit. Uh, but I, so I think part of that is like that this has been on the desirable list for a while. And what better way to demonstrate the potential of Disney's new platform than to say, well, we're going to make it and we're going to make it really well and put that sucker on our new, on our new streaming service, uh, to show you what we can do with Star Wars and with uh, Star Wars in a TV format. So, uh, as non, non, uh, animated and the, because they, they've done Clone Wars and Rebels and all that. And those have been enormously successful. But I, I think from a detailed perspective, the, the CGI and those is, 
relatively minimalized compared to like if we wanted to do like a space battle scene, which we have in one of these episodes. Yeah. So we actually we have a space battle. We have a whole space station. Like we we actually do get some. Uh, we get quite a few space like scenery, but it's yeah. just him floating around with. Yodito and Yodito. I mean, there's a great meme that has come out of that. So, you know, you can just go look it up. But uh, he is in his ship quite a bit. But as you said, we have a whole space battle and it's cool. Yeah. With two technically sort of kind of battles you have yeah. in the um, the gunslinger. The, it opens with an actual space dogfight between the uh, between the Mandalorian and a bounty hunter of uh, I don't think he has a name. I can't recall. Um, and then the other one is, uh, when, when he is in, uh, uh in the prisoner, prisoner. right? Yes. Where it, I don't know if I would call it a dog fight because it's really it's very one sided. It's, it's, it's a strafing run. Yeah. Know? With a bunch of X wings. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that was really cool because talk about like all of the directors, three of the directors got to, uh, sit in those X wings. Yeah. So Rick Famuya, who was the director of the prisoner, yep. Dave Filoni and Deborah Chow are all playing these these and uh, and and, uh, and one more one more really cool, not a director but another really cool bit of fan placement in the prisoner. Oh yes, there's actually two bits of fan fan placement. Yeah, one of them is the the longtime voice of uh, Anakin. Anakin Skywalker from Clone yeah. Wars has his. I believe his Star Wars film debut outside of animated film, uh, as a, uh, security guard who uh, sadly does not have a good day. <laughs> no, he does not. So that's Matt Lantner. Yeah. Um, but this was the part where I said that there's, um, <laughs> Sesame Street fan service. Oh. So Ismail Cruz Cordova, who plays Quinn, used to play a character named Mando. On Sesame Street. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's so fun. So fun. I really, I, so that's, since we're on the subject, I will say that The Prisoner was, uh, a lot of the episodes are really good, but I, I really, really enjoyed The Prisoner. It's excellent. So the premise of The Prisoner, for those that are still listening and have not seen it, is essentially the Mandalorian gets hired by an old uh, former partner of his to work with a crew to break out a, a Twi'lek who is in this floating prison ship, this moving prison ship, transport ship. So they have to, like, sneak into it and, like, all of this stuff. And there's, like, droids and all of these things. And it has, um, what's his name? Uh, Bill Burr? The the main guy who wasn't who makes the the great line of I I wasn't a stormtrooper asshole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I love that line. I bust up so hard the first time I heard that line. Yeah, it's Bill Burr who plays Mayfield Mayfield who is a uh, sniper for, or former sniper for the Imperial military turned now bounty hunter. And there's a great line in it when the Mandalorian like gives him like a look and he's like I wasn't a stormtrooper asshole. He says, because Mark Boone Jr. is playing the old friend, right? Uh, old mercenary. Um, and he says something like, you know, he's 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 the best gun, blah, blah, blah. He used to be an imperial sharpshooter. And Mando says, well, that's not saying much. <laughs> yeah. And that's when Mayfield, 
Bill Burris is like, I wasn't a stormtrooper asshole. And you're like, oh, he's totally (laughs) salty about that, too. But there's a scene later on, which is a callback to this, in which there are two uh, speeder bike stormtroopers (laughs) trying to shoot. Like, it's the equivalent of, like, two people with six shooters who are terrible henchmen trying to shoot like a can. It's effectively what they're doing. And they keep missing. And they, like, look at their guns like, what what the hell's wrong with these guns? Yep. That's Adam Pally <laughs> and Jason Sudeikis. It's hilarious. Their whole sequence is great. Uh, who will forever be known as the two men who punched Baby Yoda. Yep. Yep. They will always be known that. Because <laughs> they, in fact, do punch Baby Yoda multiple times. <laughs> Trying to keep it quiet. And I love the whole, the whole premise of the sequence is like, we're waiting on the dude to come collect it. Uh, yeah. but, but I, one guy has seen what it looks like and the other guy keeps wanting to see it. And so the comedy is like, he keeps trying to find excuses to see, see this creature that none of them have ever seen before. And he's just like, you just want to see it. And he's like, no, I think we should check on its health because it might be dead and you don't know what he'll do, what Gideon will do. And it's just like, no, it's all, it's all, you just want to see it. So. I think the important thing about that scene is the fact that that scene is literally five minutes. This is five minutes in a 30-minute episode Yeah, that is focused entirely on these two, you know, nobody speeder stormtroopers who have, you know, taken uh, Baby Yoda from Queel and they killed Queel because they're bastards. Um, and I'm really mad about that yeah. still. But, um, and it's the beginning of the season finale. Keep this in mind, too. Yeah. Five minutes at the beginning of a season finale focused on these two nobody stormtroopers who are hanging out at the edge of town with Baby Yoda, missing hitting cans because they're stormtroopers, and yeah. talking about life, essentially, like... Sort of adding details to your knowledge about what it means to be a stormtrooper, yeah. which means being at the beck and call and the mercy of Dick Weasel officers uh, like Moff Gideon. Yeah, Moff fucking Gideon. Moff fucking Gideon. And it is a fascinating scene for that, like, sort of element. And also, it's just hilarious. Granted, this episode is directed by Taika Waititi, so, you know, that's part of the reason that it's brilliant. Well, I, I I think a lot of the reason why is that Taika Waititi is the director, John Favreau is, I believe, writing? He's the writer. Writer. Yeah. And I they they both obviously have history, and so they must have, like, sat down at some point and were like, look, I, we want you to play this robot, but also, like, could you, would you want to direct one of these? And Taika Waititi was like, great, how do we make this the Thor Ragnarok version of Star Wars. And yes. then they went and did it. Because <laughs> they're, they're, uh, I think Thor Ragnarok has these moments that are... It does. Like, whatever people may think about Thor Ragnarok, you can see this brilliance of Taika Waititi's career up to that point where he's really great at these little vignettes of character work. But you see it uh, in what we do what we do in the shadows, which is absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, a- absolutely hilarious. So good. Yes. Different kind of movie, but you get... A lot of that, like, really great, just minute pieces of character work that are just beautiful. And he, and this whole sequence, like you said, right, it's about the lives of stormtroopers and sort of, like, the absurdity of their existence, but also some of the bullshit of, like, they might also be getting, like, cheap-ass worthless guns, and that's why they can't fucking shoot the broadside of a barn. 
I mean, it's hilarious when one of them literally is, like, shaking the gun. Like, yeah. why isn't this working? Because they're and, shit like, guns. It's right. <laughs> they clearly just used them to kill Kuil, too. So it's right. not like they can't hit anything, obviously. But, but not when we can here watch. Here they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not when we we're watching. Because it's one of the greatest in-jokes in Star Wars history, right? So you have to make mention of it in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, that's why we get the joke in The Prisoner. Yep. Um, But that's also why we get this five-minute vignette in the beginning of the final final episode. And it's it's a great – the arc of the show is great, but it also does a really wonderful job of, like, calling you back to prior moments in the season. And it's not like it's a long season. This is only eight episodes. They're all about a half hour each. Um, But we're still getting, you know, sort of callbacks. We're still getting great pieces of information. The whole Prisoner episode is telling you a lot of history of Mr. Mandalorian that I'm very interested in. Yeah. Because it's... Clear he had some sexy times with a certain Twi'lek. 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 I'm sorry. Also also a callback because there's the, the bit in Return of the Jedi where it is suggested that Boba Fett may be interested in one of the Twi'lek uh, dancing girls. Oh, yeah. Mm, because see? he sort of watches one of them dance and it, right. it's kind of clear like he's interested. <laughs> and I think they even have in well, one of the scenes they high, have an interaction. So. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, Twi'lek women are almost always portrayed as attractive. Right. But in this case, uh, our Twi'lek is terrifying as well. Yeah, uh, because Sheehan she's a murderer. Is just, she's <laughs> terrifying. And Tonks, sorry, I forget the actress's name already, is so good as Sheehan. Like, so, yep. so good. Um, But that kind of brings me to uh, a question I have for you, Mr. Oh, Duke. Yeah, okay. Dr. Duke? Yep. What is your favorite episode? Oh, fuck. Of The Mandalorian. Oh, fuck, man. I got, that's a hard <laughs> one. Oh, man. Oh, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, that's a... Oh. <laughs> that's like Sorry. asking me to pick which child I want to keep. Like, I mean, you obviously keep Baby Yoda. I might say either uh the the finale or episode two or three. No, th- three because the, yeah, it's episode three, the sin because that's the one where um he basically. <laughs> fucks over the client and then there's that really great mandalorian fighting scene which i think is fantastic it is and, a fantastic and scene. episode eight it's between those two and episode eight just because we get like a real sense of like the consequences but also a uh, consequences of earlier episodes but also it gives us this really good feed into what the world after the empire's collapsed is like because in a lot of places there's a power vacuum that is filled by remnants of the Empire, which we see in 7 and 8, but 8 too. Also, IG-11, because I love the reprogrammed IG-11 so much. He is really wonderful, and I'm I'm going to be salty for a while that we don't get any more Queel and IG-11 after this season. But we do get more Cara Dune. I know. So, yay. And <laughs> I, I gotta say, Dina Carano was absolutely a standout in this show for me. 
Absolutely. If, if you had told me that, that she was an MMA fighter that just like took a spin at acting, I would have told you like, I don't know, this doesn't seem like that shift to me. This seems like somebody who this was just natural to them. Well, she has been acting for a number. Of well, she had. Yeah, I just so. mean like, <laughs> I, it, it's it, you know there are, there are some people who like transited from that and have done a lot of parts and stuff that you know from combat sports to that that have you know it like it took. Let's be real. It took The Rock a while. Like it, it did, but it, he I did mean, to do a few movies. Taken, <laughs> it's taken Gina Carano a while. She's been in a lot yeah. of bad thi- bad. Just bad movies. Well, but there's year. a difference between being in bad movies and being and in the Scorpion th- King. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but a she film really we have has, yet to watch. <laughs> and uh, she was she was screwed over in Haywire, uh, yeah. even though she was brilliant in it, in my opinion. It's honestly one of my favorite movies of all time, and she is so good. But it's not her voice, which is sad. But she was fantastic in Deadpool, obviously. Like, come on. Yep, she was great. And then, and then she's now doing this. And I am glad, like, I remember, like, the last time we did a Mando episode, you were like, wait, when is Gina Carano showing up? Like, (laughs) what's going on? Because she hadn't shown up yet. She does not show up until episode four. Yep. Um, In the sanctuary. She's, she's fantastic. She's playing a former rebel shock trooper. She's from Alderaan. Yeah. So there's that callback. There's that callback. And that's, I think, uh, it kind of explains her and her feelings towards certain other characters. And definitely her tr- distrust of, of the Empire. Well, also why when uh, he comes, uh, the Mandalorian comes to get her, get her to join him, she's like, I- I'm not really interested. And he's like, well, he's an Imperial officer. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, because from her perspective, yeah, fuck the f- fuck them. They they exactly. all deserve it. Yeah, and she has the coolest tattoo ever, right under her eye. It's a little rebel symbol, which I yeah. totally want now. Yeah, can I have one? You can do whatever you want to your body, Jen. I I am not going to tell you what you can and can't do to your body. I thank you very much. But You're anyway, welcome. she is a standout. Um, Absolutely. For sure in the show. I'm very glad we get to see more of her in season two, I'm sure, because that's one of the kind of cool things that this this season uh, gives to us for next season is we now know we have a direction. Yes. Right? That season finale sets up season two really, really nicely. And a big mystery that a lot of people have been asking for is now very heavily implied to be one of the central points of season two, which is the big question of where the hell do these Yoda creatures come from? Right. Because the goal here now is that the Mandalorian has been tasked to find with tasked by the armorer to find where, where the, where the Yoda thing baby has Yoda. come from. The Yodito. baby Yoda. He needs a damn name in the show. <laughs> yeah. In the show, he needs one because Disney has officially dubbed him the, the child like and not that anybody calls him the child because come on he's either baby yoda or and obviously my mind he's yodito so yeah i'm gonna keep calling him that but they do i want him to call him like frank like (laughs) just something so silly and and absurd well i like that um like gina carano keeps calling him a womp rat but which is adorable right like even though (laughs) that should be his name that should be his name wouldn't that be so cute like if he shows up at the at the yoda people home world and they're all like oh hello how are you today and he's like oh i'm fine Uh, by the way i found this little guy and like oh he's so cute what's his name womp rat 
You named him fucking Womp Rat? What are you doing? <laughs> the we fuck's wrong with rats. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, that guy's name is Slohubihan. Like, he's got a really good name. You named him Womp Rat? Holy fuck, man. And then they, yeah. I'm trying not to do, like, a Yoda impression, but also making it Yoda-like, because I assume they all vaguely kind of talk the same. Oh, I'm sure they do. So you basically just gave me, like, this weird cross between Yoda and Kermit Kermit the Frog. (laughs) So it's like, yeah. But... (laughs) Okay, so one of the big things here, though, is... And this, this is a part that requires context. So now we know that he's going to be going after... Uh, trying to find Yoda's, baby Yoda's species or his family in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Except that he's also a force user. So the question is, is he going to, uh, and uh, theoretically, uh, what we kind of know is that all of Yoda's species were force sensitive. And so theoretically, a lot of them were probably Jedi. Or, well, if not Jedi, then maybe... Maybe force users in a different co- in a different sense. But what I'm getting at is the fact that in the history of the of Mandalore, the Jedi and he mentions this in the show, the Jedi and Mandalore do not get along. No, because there's a Mandalorian Jedi war, and it was not fun. Yes, and that's way, 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 way back when. But it apparently basically destroyed Mandalore. At the time, yeah. Granted, since then, you know, like, the Empire's kind of become a bigger thing, which is why Moff Gideon, who is our our new big villain for the show, is is such an important figure and will continue to be an important figure in Season 2 as well. Because he presided over the Purge. He presided over the Purge of Mandalore and is carrying a very special weapon. Dark Saber. Dark Saber. Which, if you want to know more about the history of that, Wikipedia has some great entries sort of explaining what the Darksaber means, more of the history of Mandalore and things like that. I don't want to get into it here because it's a lot. Well, and if you've seen Clone Wars, you're familiar with the Darksaber because a lot of the Mandalorian, especially Death Watch characters, carried them. Right. So, Um, Speaking of which, guess who saved uh, our baby Din Djarin uh, when he was a child? A A Mandalorian. A Death Watch Mandalorian, specifically. Oh, I didn't notice that they were Death Watch. Yeah, apparently they're Death Watch. Uh, you can see the crest for a brief moment. That's a big deal, because oh. Death Watch were, even by Mandalorian standards, extremists. And let's be fair, Mandalorian's pretty extreme by compared to most places. Right, and it, which is not to say that it he... Be- is Death Watch or was Death Watch no. at any point in his history? But he was saved by Death Watch uh, from whoever. I mean, clearly it was Empire robots. I think it's Empire robots that were killing his his yeah. people on whatever planet he's from. It is it, the robots uh, appeared to be Clone Wars era robots, but it, it so that it would have been around the time of the Clone Wars, but it's. It is unclear to me the context in which they're used because the the uh, the droids in the Clone Wars are usually associated with the Separatists, which right. obviously being manipulated by Palpatine and all that stuff. But that's different from the obvious entity that becomes the Empire, which would have been the Old Republic. Right. So it's it's there's a bit of like there's more to this story that we don't yet have. 
But it explains why he hates droids, so. Yes, it does explain why he hates droids and the relationship between him and IG-11 and sort of his arc in terms of, like, coming to accept the help of a droid and everything is is really cool. So cute. But, uh, anyway, uh, my point being that, you know, this is one of those things that we learned about Mandalorians, obviously, is they are a creed. They are not a, a species, specific species. Right. Because he was not born on Mandalore. He was brought to Mandalore as an orphan, which I think is something that is going to be, I, I, I think there's an element of this. It's going to be really interesting to see it being read from um, indigenous perspectives, if that's something that comes into this. Uh, because some of the original actors who we saw faces for, anyway, uh, who played Mandalorian, so for example, the or at least who played Jango Fett, uh, is uh, Maori. Yeah. Uh, or of Maori descent. Uh, so I just think there's a lot there that's kind of really, is a really interesting way of approaching a concept in Star Wars about like your relationship to your culture, because it mm-hmm. is effectively, it's an indigenous relationship to culture as we understand in, in, in native cultures in the U.S., which is like you, you, you aren't, you aren't indigenous just because you happen to have been born of a certain group of people. You were it because you're accepted into the culture. Uh, you are. A- you are a part of the culture. And, like, I'm not going to comment on that more because I am not indigenous. No, I I want to hear their perspectives on this. Yeah, it would be really interesting because I think the the whole idea of refugees uh, here and and the indigenous separation and being sort of – because, like, he's not – it's not that Mandalorians are colonizing other space- spaces. They're literally saving people from that colonization. Right. And so it it is a it's a fascinating culture, which we are now learning a lot more about through this show. And obviously yeah. uh through Clone Wars a lot is in that as well, but it's a very different different perspective because this is post purge. So uh it's a group of refugees it's a culture basically made up of refugees that are now refugees from even that culture that i think is a very complicated sort of relationship with culture that i think you're right would be really interesting from an indigenous indigenous perspective and it's just interesting from like sort of a a post-colonial perspective like how what does that do to you well, I, we, I think we can, we can see some of the, the consequences of right. that on our characters because their, their sense of identity is, uh, conflicted and very much protected. Uh, because a big, I mean, even though this, the thing that I found just kind of depressing, I suppose, was sort of when we get to the end of this season, we find out what the consequences were for the earlier episode when he basically, unintentionally solicits the help of of the other mandalorians who were in hiding and then we find out that pretty much all of them have been killed now they've been hunted down and killed and this is coming from a position of we've recognized that the there aren't many mandalorians left they've almost been completely eradicated and this is a thing that happens in a lot of star wars usually behind the scenes or, or at least in the, the uh, external material from the films is this the the consequences of having empires like the galactic empire is oftentimes people get wiped off the map uh so like for example the gungans got effed over completely so this is just another group of people who attempted to fight back and got 
wiped out. And so now we're seeing those consequences on these characters where they've taken these oaths to never reve- reveal themselves, right? They've, they've lived in these sewers. They're being incredibly protected. They, they are sort of latching onto their, their culture and their creed in a way that, uh, other people don't because they don't necessarily feel the need to protect, be as protective as the Mandalorians do because a lot of what the Mandalorian culture is based in is the fact that there are people to practice it. It's not a matter of it being remembered. It's a matter of there being people there to actually actualize it in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. And I think, and one of those actualizations is the foundlings, which yes. forms the whole basis of uh, Mando's relationship to Yodito, right? Like, and moving forward, that really is more than it was this season that will be the central focus moving forward is the relationship between those two characters and how the existence of a foundling really affects the adults of mandalore and how they continue that creed through these tasks of and granted like his task is this is a foundling right now but he is not old enough for you to train him, so you have to find his family. But in the absence of not finding his family, Baby Yoda becomes, and and that's what the armorer tells him: you are a clan of two. Um, and he gets his sigil, super cool, his sigil, which is the Mudhorn, uh, because they both defeated the Mudhorn. Yeah, it's so it's so beautiful. The symbology is amazing. It really is. There is so it's amazing how much depth. They've been able to put, like I said, eight episodes, 30 yeah. minutes each, right? Um, and let's think about the fact that Queel, in a sense, is a ref, he's, he's a refugee of sorts. He's a refugee of sorts. He was an indentured servant. Like his, his clan were slaves to the empire. That comes up and it's, it's really intense when, when it's so, like, oh, you work for the empire. And he's like, I was, I was a slave. Do and not I- confuse. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was intense. The yeah. this is also the final episode. There's an exchange between Quill and uh, Cara Dune, and and keep in mind that even Cara Dune, her planet Alderaan does not exist anymore. Yep, she's a refugee too. Right, her culture literally does not exist. It is gone. Yeah, I mean this this show's full of the these characters yeah. that have lost their home and don't, yes. and, ha- and in some cases can never go back. Right, exactly. Uh, it will be interesting to see because we do find out that uh, Grief Karka is a former magistrate. Hmm. Hi. Hmm. Hey. I wonder of what. <laughs> you know, like it's amazing how much stuff they've been able to work into the show. Um, I hope Ming Na Wen isn't actually dead. Uh, who is the the mysterious cloaked figure from the end of the Gunslinger? I don't know. Oh, oh, is it indeed Moff Gideon that was there? Except I don't recall him having jangly boots. <laughs> so I don't think so, because I feel like his reveal when we get to meet him would have made it obvious that that was the callback. I, I agree. So yeah, and Moff Gideon is so interesting because Moff, because of his, his role, um, He's like, he's just this imposing figure and I, and I absolutely adored the, the way that he gets dealt. He's not dead, but he gets dealt with, which is like, he, he's obviously like, I have all the power and he's just exerting this power, showing this tiny settlement 
I could basically do whatever the fuck I want and you don't have to do all you can do is hope that I've decided you're still useful otherwise I'll just kill you because there's that moment right where they're trapped in the building and by the way uh, our our very creepy former imperial officer got unceremoniously killed off which I think is really sad for me because I I fucking love Werner Herzog in this I he's, know. he's so creepy and good but yeah so he gets unceremoniously killed right Let's and then let me see the child right, let me see the child I want to see the child we will all be very quiet yeah we'll be very quiet we won't disturb him I, I can't do his accent. Like, no, there's only it, but... some people can do Werner Herzog. But all you gotta do is just make your voice airy and try to sound like you've been, like, in, in a hole in a prison for six years. <laughs> and then just come out going, I once lived in a prison. I can be quiet around children. I can also make them laugh. Look, I can do dances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Werner Herzog. <laughs> But yeah, so he gets that ceremoniously killed, and it's sort of this huge demonstration of power. And then I just, I, I love the fact that in the end, right, he's got this TIE fighter, and it's like, I'm gonna blow you up. Cha 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 cha. Yeah! I've never seen a TIE fighter land, and that was so cool, by the way. It was pretty cool, although you, I, they usually don't do that because they don't need to. But yeah, so like, but there's this great bit where he's just like, I've got the power, do 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 do. And, uh, and the, the, the Mandalorian, before he's even been able to properly, like, I guess, connect himself with his jetpack, just like throws himself up in the air and like blows up the TIE fighter. It's, it's absolutely down. amazing. Right? That was that was a very cool scene. But yeah, Giancarlo Esposito is playing Moff Gideon. Did so an good. absolutely wonderful job. It's gonna be exciting to see more of him in the next season. Um and I'm I'm hoping that we get more visits, and I'm sure we will, because Grief Karga is I and and Cara Dune are both gonna continue to be um hopefully fairly prominent characters, or at least a sort of safe space for uh mando to come back to because the armorer is still there and now that grief karga controls uh navarro uh hopefully for the long term um and the guild controls that town uh it's essentially also become a safe place for mandalorians and i think that is going to give us a potential for more mandalorians showing up and being more open. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to see if that comes into play in the future. Um, the armorer, like I said, is just such an amazing character. Love it. And I, I saw someone did a Rosie the Riveter of the armorer. And it says, this is the way. And I need that poster in my life. <laughs> like, so badly. You don't even know. And then I need a Cara Dune doing the same thing she's so badass because when the when the stormtroopers finally come for her and she j- doesn't even have guns she just like beats them with with like some hand weapons like her, like the thing she's it's her hammer and yeah. tongs right? like, <laughs> it's just... her it's literally her blacksmithing tools and like wrecks she them. whips wrecks <laughs> oh oh great great scene and she starts out from her crouch oh it's beautiful yeah and, and and this is the thing where it's like normally that would be the this is like the 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 heroic mythical figure like goes out in a great fight and everything but we're given the strong impression she's back for the next season. Oh no, season. she's there. Yeah. She's there. 
Yeah. <laughs> she so. better be there. I and hope like so. I said, I, I hope we, we see more of her having an influence on Mando and guiding him, which I think is going to continue to be her role. Um, and I hope that you see that space becoming because it basically is, it's become a a space for refugees. That's kind of what bounty hunters are on their own, like in general. Like some of them obviously are just in it for the money, but why are they and assholes? Yeah. Why? Why have they been led down this road? Why have they come to this place? And I think what you'll find is that a lot of them are refugees in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, because Mayfeld is effectively because the Empire is gone. He he has no oh, yeah. he job. Has no place. So. What no. do you do? You, if you're a Perius sharpshooter, what, what are your, what is your job supposed to be? You can't go work for the New Republic because oh, they're not no. going to yeah, take you. You work for the Empire. So, bounty hunter. Right, exactly. And Cara Dune has become like, she doesn't work for the New Republic anymore because she was a soldier and now they need peacekeepers. And that's a tough transition for people to make. Especially someone who was, intensely in in the soldier intensely. role right so she's probably she's probably dealing with like a lot of things and maybe we'll get to see this next season of like that adjustment like when soldiers go to war and then they come back and they have to be like civilians and how do you how do you do that Appa- apparently cartoon just just fights robots with uh, arm wrestles robots which i guess is a thing she does well and then she beats the crap out of men who are much larger than her uh, for fun and, and then becomes the enforcer of grief cargo so, i know like yeah it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good it's a good job for her um but we have now like talked way too long i know obviously ig11 really can, can we can we just talk about it? i love the fact that he gets reprogrammed as a nursing droid yeah and takes his job really goddamn seriously very very seriously <laughs> and i love when he first shows up and they're like you know <laughs> Uh, to to confront the two um, the the two speeder stormtroopers yeah and i i forget you know a nurse droid what are you even doing i'm i'm fulfilling my duty i love that give me the child (laughs) right now in my opinion if all future nurses of like small children are not also like capable of killing everybody around them i'm gonna be disappointed like it's that's so now cool. what I expect out of a nurse, right? It's so great. I mean, I'm sorry. Do you want to take care of my children? I need you to be a former hitman. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it. Like it's just so great when he's flying in on the speeder with Yoda, Yoda yeah. Dito on him, and he's just like with his arms out with his guns, and he's just like steering with his feet. <laughs> It's fantastic. Great character, Taika Waititi did a fantastic job doing the voice. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I. What more can we say about this? You did. I didn't even ever share my favorite episode because I'm like cool, and I dodged that bullet. Thank you very much. They're all my favorite. I was gonna make fun <laughs> of you and like be like, oh, you definitely would. You like this episode the most, but then I realized like none of that would even matter because they're all good episodes. So there's no wrong choice. They're all good episodes. I will say that I think The Prisoner is the most unique episode. Um, And I think purposefully so. Like, it's not, it's different from all the other ones. Like, in in a big way. The setting is different. Uh, Sort of the action sequences are very different. 
Um, it's just, it's got a different feel. It's shot very differently, especially if you consider the fact that, so Rick Famuyiwa did both the second episode, The Child, and The Prisoner. Mm. And those two on, like, just take those two separately or together. They're very different episodes. Completely different. Completely different. So... One, it shows us that Rick Fumia has a fantastic range, and I hope we get more of his direction in the next season. Same. But I read a really great review of it because it was talking about the side swipes that occur in The Prisoner. Um, and I don't know if you've watched it a second time, but no. I read it and then I went back and, and that's when I watched it. And it really is cool because there's a whole sequence where <laughs> Mando is hunting the other yeah because they betrayed him and he's hunting the crew because yeah yeah, because they betrayed him so uh he's hunting them through the corridors of this prison ship which is a great set for hunting people obviously right and it's just got like when he finally (laughs) him cornering uh mayfield is one of the best comedic moments yeah. <laughs> ever. Because it's like, it's one of those scenes where there's, it's got flashing lights, so it's dark and then light and dark and then light. And, and it's in a red lighting when it is lit. And you just see Mando approaching him from behind, but sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not there. And there's Mayfield, Bill Burr, just like, where are you? Where are you? You know, oh my God, oh my God. And then right <laughs> the last second, it's just Mayfield's face looking terrified. Mando shows up directly behind him and all you hear is, no! And- <laughs> it's, it reminds me of the scene ah! from uh, uh, Batman Begins. When yes. he, one of the first time Batman comes in and like is fighting yes. all the people. And the, one, the guy's going, where are you? And he goes, here. And the guy goes, ah! And then he, <laughs> he gets pulled up by Batman. <laughs> It's it's one of those, but it's really expertly shot. You're right because he appears, disappears, appears, disappears. It's just very clever. Um, and and the rest of them are are just as good. Like his fight with um Sheehan is great. Like the deal he makes with with Quinn, and then the the double cross. Ugh. Yeah. Gorgeous. Uh, but it's really nice to see. I've never seen sort of such a stark difference between episodes while also maintaining the same feel. Obviously, like you yeah. can totally see each director's sort of take on things, and they're all fun. Obviously, but uh, yeah, I love the prisoner. It's it's just a it's a beautifully shot episode. It's a lot of fun. Um, Tonks is just so terrifying as she and and I loved it. And it's always fun to see Mark Boone Jr. Like I think that's his name because he's hilarious. <laughs> he's just so good at being like the big old motorcycle guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, also in the the, the Nolan Batman movies, <laughs> he plays oh, one yeah, of the corrupt police right, officers. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. And it's fun to see Matt Lantner in the show. And then, last thing, they shouldn't like I said. They, I, I really hope that Ming Na Wen isn't actually dead, uh, because she is otherwise the queen of Disney. That's like she's got the egot of Disney's. Yeah, she does properties now because she has been in. Disney animated films, Marvel, and Star Wars. She just needs to be in a Pixar. Yeah, that's then- the last. That's the last <laughs> hurdle for her. That's yeah, the last at that hurdle. point, her career will be complete, and the universe <laughs> will finally reunify. Yes, right, exactly, or explode. <laughs> it's one or the other. Uh, the perfection that is Mignolet. So 
Yep, she's fantastic. I think she really was. Yeah, I I think we're in agreement that The Mandalorian is exceptional television. And if you are listening to this and you're like, I don't know if I should watch it, our, our response is probably to scream at you. We won't do that because we actually need to, you know, record like normal people. Uh, but yeah, you should watch it. It's well worth watching. Disney Plus is definitely well worth getting for this show alone. It is great. You're Tony the Tiger now? Well, he's in he's in Star Wars. <laughs> well, anyway, Jen, we got to get out of here, right? Yep, we do. So wrap us up. So if you would like to let us know what you think, you can go to our website, skiffyandfanny.com, and leave comments under this episode. You can also email us at, at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. You can also go on Twitter at skiffyandfanty. And you can obviously leave us all kinds of reviews and things on iTunes and all them places. And uh, join us on Patreon if you'd like to support the show. Patreon.com slash Skiffy and Fanty. Also, we will be selling uh, molded uh, Stormtrooper butts later this week. So if that's what you really need, just uh, send us a message. We'll make sure you can get one. Yeah, you can do that to me at Lou on Twitter. And you can do that to Dr. Grand Moff Duke over there at Sean Duke. So have fun, kids. Yeah. With your stormtrooper butts. And just just so you know, stormtroopers come in six sizes. I'm sorry, that's the only sizes they come in uh with their butts. Uh it's it's just a it's just a problem that they don't it really sucks for the people who'd like to be stormtroopers but have one of the sizes that doesn't. Like it's mostly not about like size, like size size. It's more about like shape of the butt. <laughs> right? So like if you're kind of like you know, like they they they're stormtrooper bubble butts, like they like those. Right. Yeah. Um, the butts that are like really firm, muscular, that one's good. But if you've got like one of those butts that like it's a little bit the, the, the center mass of the butt is a little lower. Uh, unfortunately, they don't make them that way because for some stupid reason, the Imperials don't like different kinds of butts. Yeah. And they do not do concave butts. They don't. Jen and I, yeah. equal opportunity butt lovers. <laughs> Just saying. I think it's definitely time for your awkward ending now. <laughs> Awkward ending and scene. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanty.com, and on Twitter at skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.